0: Grace and mercy and peace be to you from our God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When the gospel lesson from Matthew was read just a little while ago, I'm wondering whether any of you actually asked yourself some questions. For example, these are questions I had when I read the text. For whose benefit did the transfiguration occur? Was it for Jesus? Was it for Peter, James, and John? Or was it for you and me? Was it for us? Well, the answer, of course, is sure. It was for all of us. See, Jesus needed this this transfiguration experience as he prepared for that difficult road that he was about to start on, that resolute march to the cross. Peter, James, and John needed this too. They needed to get a glimpse of what Jesus was really like. And today I want to suggest you that we too need this story, because in this story Jesus teaches us how to live as faithful Christ followers, even when we face adversity, when tough times come into our lives. And we know for certain we're going to face them sooner or later. In fact, I tell you, if you're not having a tough time now, just wait until tomorrow or next week. And so I hope you've come through. Some of you are in and some of you can expect them. So no matter how good things are in your life right now, in your business or in your career, there are always going to be times ahead that are going to be challenges, both physical and spiritual challenges. And no matter how good, for example, your marriage might be right now, there's going to be times perhaps in the future when you might have a few of these off-road experiences. And no matter how great things are going for you, maybe even spiritually right now, there may come a time... That no matter how close you feel to God, there will be times in the future when his presence doesn't seem to be quite so near and close. There will be times when you struggle with sin and you will struggle with your ability to even obey. And yes, there are going to be times ahead that when doing the right thing is actually going to hurt. It's a fact of life because we all face those kinds of things. Like I said, in fact, some of you can see them on the horizon now. For others, the threat is not nearly as clear. But either way, I want to suggest to you tonight, based on the transfiguration, the prep, it's time to prepare for those times. It's time to prepare for tough decisions that all of us are called on to make. But here's the grand and glorious good news. The good news is this, the transformation of Jesus, the transfiguration of Jesus, shows us how to go about doing this. And there are some very simple principles found in God's word that are more powerful than you can even begin to imagine. Now, the very first thing we're going to do is we want to prepare. We want to prepare, first of all, by getting alone with God. And I would say, not only get alone with God, but stay alone with Him. Now, our text says tonight that Jesus went up on this high mountain with three of His closest friends, Peter, James, and John, uh, to spend time alone in the presence of God. Now, if you read the same story in Luke's Gospel, it'll say that they went up there, Jesus went up there specifically, To pray. Now, I don't know how you handle adversity, but I'm going to be real honest with you. Uh, Sometimes when I'm facing tough times, often my first inclination is to pray less and not more. Now, why is that? Why would you, you know, when you have tough times, why would you suddenly decide not to pray as much? Well, I'm I'm going to tell you my reasons. You can plug in your own reasons. I think sometimes subconsciously, I'm thinking that God's a little bit mad at me. Or he wouldn't put me through all of this nonsense. Sometimes I think, well, you know, I'm only getting what I deserve. And sometimes in my arrogance, I think to myself, well, you know, you've earned three masters degrees and in the doctor. You ought to be able to figure this one out by yourself. You don't need God. God, you, you sit this one out for a while. But I'll be honest with you, regardless of my first inclination at the, st- t- at the time of a storm is to pray less, that inclination stinks. That's not the route to go. This is why I've learned in my life that when those times come, when adversity or trouble or pain come into my life, my first reaction needs to be to get alone with God and talk to him about it. I've learned to pray prayers like this. Father, this is a tough decision. I don't want to make it. So give me the strength to do the right thing. Or Father, I'm struggling with this, with this will to obey your word. So give me the strength to do the right thing. Or, Father, I'm tempted to take the easy way out, but give me the strength to do the right thing. So our first defense whenever troubles come into our lives is to get away from the grind of daily life. Get alone with God. And maybe maybe some of you need to get get alone with him for a month. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your life. Some of you may need to get alone for a week or maybe a, a day or just a few hours. But just get alone with him. Now, some of you might be thinking already, how long should I get alone? Well, here's my answer. Until you see what the disciples saw, a glimpse of the glory of God. Verse 2 of our text, it says, They went up into the mountain, and there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Now, just a little note about transfiguration, that that word. It comes from a Greek verb, which is metamorpho, which sounds a whole lot like another word you probably already know, which is metamorphosis. It means to change from one thing to something better. It's kind of like watching that old caterpillar spin his cocoon and suddenly come out on the other side a beautiful butterfly. So what was happening here was the disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they got a glimpse of what Jesus truly look like as God. They suddenly realized, they saw him, that he was much more than a teacher. He was much more than a healer. He possessed the very radiance of God. And there standing next to him are two key Old Testament figures, Moses and Elijah, and they were talking. Would you have liked to have been there and heard that conversation? Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. What do you think they were talking about? I think I can tell you. But in order for me to tell you, we've got to take you back into the Gospel of Luke where that story goes on. Because in Luke chapter 9, 31, it says, There he appeared in glory, and we're speaking of Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, that, that word departure is an interesting Greek word too. It's exudia. It means. Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah about his impending exodus. When he was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to have his exodus when he was going to triumph on the cross. Remember on the cross where Jesus was crucified but where Satan got nailed. He was ready to start a brand new revolution, a new reformation. So here the disciples got a a glimpse of his glory. And in the coming days, they were going to need to hang on to that glimpse, particularly as they watched Jesus being arrested and then watched him be beaten and then stripped and, and mocked and then nailed to that cross. They need to hang on to that little vision as they struggled with their own fears and their own failures. But I believe this also happened for Jesus' sake. Because there was a sense in which he needed that strength. Remember, as you go through the Lenten journey, how Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed so hard that, you know, the great drops of blood were coming down. He needed all the strength and the power and the affirmation of God as he was ready to face that lonely road to the cross, the one that we begin here this Wednesday, this Ash Wednesday. He needed to get alone into God's presence and get a glimpse of his Father now, as you prepare to take, have those times of adversity, take time out of your schedule to get along with God and get a glimpse of his glory. Now, some of you might be asking a question already, other than the fact, how long is this guy going to preach tonight? But the other question might be, what do I mean by a glimpse of his glory? Well, I'm going to give you a few things that you ought to think about. One is, as you get along with God and in your pray, meditate on his presence. Remember that he's with you no matter what comes in your life. Some of you know these Bible passages. I know some of you are lifelong losers. you memorized these in catechism class a long time ago. Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. Many of you know the Great Commission. we at the end of it Matthew 28, 20. It says, and surely I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. So what you do is you get along with God. You remember that he promised that he will never, ever be away from you. He's there with you. So meditate on his presence in your life. The next thing you need to do is to meditate on his power. I did a series of sermons about three or four months ago and had a chance to preach many of them in different churches. The very first one was called, God is God, I am not. You know, that's one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned. God is God, I'm not God. In fact, you ought to be happy I'm not God. I'd probably be a terrible God. I'd be throwing daggers right out of heaven, I guess. But God is God. He's the one with the power. The Bible says of our God in the book of Psalms, your arm is exuded with power, your hand is strong, your right hand exalted. So like that old hymn, when you feel weak and weary and heavy burdened, cumbered with a load of care, you know that hymn? When you're feeling that way, remember that God is not that way At all. God is all-powerful. I learned in fifth and sixth grade confirmation from Mr. Schmieding that he's omnipotent, omnipotent. He's all-potent, like a strong cup of coffee, he told us. He's all-powerful. So meditate on his power in your life, and then finally meditate on his purpose. See, the trials and temptations we face are not meaningless. Jesus did not face the cross simply because things kind of got out of control. There was a reason for his suffering. And there's a reason for your suffering as well. In fact, Peter lays it out pretty clear. He says, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, and certainly all of us probably have had those experiences, these have come, why? So that your faith of greater worth than gold... May be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, when you battle against them and God's power shows in your life, guess what? You can say, look what God did. Not look what you did, but look what God did and how God worked in this situation. So at the onset of a storm, get alone with God. Catch a glimpse of his glory. Meditate on his presence and meditate on his power and his purpose in your life. And the second thing, though, is to listen. Listen to God. See, there, there are times when you certainly need to pour out your heart. I don't know what your prayer life is like, but there are some times when, I, you know, I've I kind of overcome and I'll get down on my knees in my office. And I just pour out my heart and I just, I just tell God all kinds of stuff. Stuff I, I, I'm having trouble with, stuff that I'm overjoyed about, uh, stuff that's coming up ahead, sermons I need to write, uh, places I need to go. And so I just pour out my heart to him. And we all need to do that, just to, to lay it out there. But you know something? There's also a time to be quiet. To be quiet and actually listen. Now, when Peter got a glimpse of God's glory, he said in verse 4, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, if you look at Luke's account of the transfiguration, this is what it says about Peter. He didn't know what he was saying. He didn't know what he was talking about. See, Peter, as was his custom, opened his mouth and shoved both sandaled feet in it. He probably thought, you know, worshiping God up here, wow, with Moses and Elijah to boot, this is way cool. In fact, that's a whole lot better than to go back down into that valley and see Jesus crucified on that ugly little hill on the outside of Jerusalem. Let's just stay here forever. But you know something, he had a point. I want you to think, have you ever been on a spiritual retreat or been at a worship service that was so great, you just didn't want it to end. I spoke at the main prison in, in uh, Angola a couple weeks ago, and the worship was just phenomenal. The praise band was just, they were rocking and rolling. It was wonderful. Guys were even dancing. It doesn't happen very often in a Lutheran church, does it, where we get that excited. Sometimes we get really excited. We kind of smile inwardly, but not often. But I just thought, I, I wish this could last all night, but I know they only get two hours to do this. You know what's so great about it? There are no interruptions. The phone's not ringing. You don't have to deal with text messages. You're not on Facebook. People aren't bickering with one another. In those times, you're about as close to heaven on earth as you're going to get. But you know something? It can't last because we are not called by God to pursue a state of personal retreatedness, if there is such a word. I'm going to take you back to my ordination over 30-some years ago. Uh, my son is a singer, and he writes some music. And I said, I want you to write a song for my ordination. But I don't want some maudlin old song. I want something that has a little beat with it. has a little bit of boogie-woogie beat. I don't care whether it's country or western, but I, I, I want to have something that would kind of get everybody's juices flowing. Now, I'm not going to sing it for you. Uh, But I'm going to tell you a little bit about that song because it was a strong, powerful message from my son Eric to his dad on the day of his ordination. Because there's a line in that song that says, There may be joy on the mountain, but the work is always done in the valley. Just think about that, friends. We're called to live in this day in and day out grind of a real world. I mean, to be on these joyful mountaintops is a wonderful thing. You ought, to, you ought to be excited about being in a worship service where you can gather together with people and praise the God who created you, who redeemed you, and is looking forward to greeting you in heaven someday. But the real world is right outside those doors. The work, Jesus said, is still done in the valley. See, Peter's idea may have sounded pretty good, but he didn't get God's perspective on the situation. He wasn't listening. So God got his attention. How did he do it? Verses 5 and 6. While he, that's Peter, was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped him, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, have you ever heard those words before in the Bible, other than in 1 Peter? I mean, Peter's only... In the epistle, was only repeating what he saw. But have you ever heard those words somewhere else in the Bible? If you think back, it would be the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus was coming up out of the Jordan after being baptized by John, what? He's got a dove on his shoulder, the clouds open, the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I dwell. Please hear ye him. Now, that... That verse is really taking two Old Testament Bible passages and kind of jamming them together. It's taking a verse that has to do with the coronation of a king from Psalm 2, verse 7. It's also taking part of Isaiah's servant song from Isaiah 42, 1 and putting them together. And so when this voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, the disciples heard God saying, this is the Messiah. This is the servant king. And what happened when he said that? The disciples, it said, fell face down to the ground, terrified. Why? Well, it's not recorded in scripture, but I'm going to give you two reasons I would. What if God suddenly parted the roof of this church and spoke right now? Would it scare any of you? Of course it would, unless you're sound asleep and haven't heard anything to this point. Yeah, it would. It'd scare me to death. I'd be shaking in my cowboy boots. God suddenly said, Barry, what are you doing? (laughs) That'd scare me. I also think that the words God spoke to them also surprised them because they finally came to realize that what Jesus had been saying for so long was true. He was headed to Jerusalem to meet his death, and it frightened them. and as that realization kind of sunk in, they were overcome with fear. Now right after uh, God told Peter, James, and John to listen to Jesus, what was the very next thing that Jesus said? He said two things in verse seven. He said, "But Jesus came and touched them, get up, he said, don't be afraid' Friends, when you face adversity of any kind, Jesus, who told his disciples, and if you are truly a Christ follower, you're one of his disciples, he's saying to you, friend, get up. Don't be afraid. Have courage. What you're about to face, I'm already there. I'm ahead of you. Now, many times when we are about to face some difficult times, we find ourselves praying, God, get me out of this. I have prayed that prayer a few times, I don't know about you, you know, get me out of this, and a few times I've kind of heard God say, I'm not going to get you out of it, but I'm sure going to get you through it. Get up, don't be afraid. November, I had a head-on car collision on 76 East. Some guy in a pile-up shot out as I was coming up Mount Branson, hit me head-on, knocked me off the road, down a ditch. They transported me to the hospital. I was going down the hill. The EMTs were taking my blood pressure with something like 7,000 over 200. I don't know, some ridiculous number. And they said, your pulse was like 155. They said, but you're amazingly calm. I said, really? She said, I said, well, I guess I was just laying here thinking. She said, well, what were you thinking? I said, I lived through this. I wonder what God has in store for me next. Now, God didn't stop the accident from happening, but he got me through it. And he showed me that God's always got another plan on the other side. That's why I say that when you take time to listen to God, you have a chance to filter out all of your excuses, all of your escape routes, and you have a chance to hear that still, small voice of God, that gentle whisper of encouragement that says, get up. Don't be afraid. You can do this. Together we can handle it. So again, I just say, get along with God. Open your heart to Him. Open your ears. Listen to Him. And what He's going to say is, don't be afraid. There's one last thing, and it's time to wait on God. Most of us aren't very good waiters. I know I'm not. I'm, you know, I, I learned this a long time. I, I coached high school and college basketball for almost 20 years. And time is very important when you're a basketball coach. I learned from that great coach, John Wooden, where time is involved beyond time. I don't wait for nothing. That's why uh, we always start church services according to KST. You know what that is, cold standard time. When my watch says 6, that's when we start. Okay. With God, he sometimes tells us we need to wait a little longer than we like to. As they were coming down the mountain verse 9, Jesus instructed them. He said, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Now, we've probably all heard that before. As you read the Gospels, any number of times Jesus said, now don't go telling anybody, don't go telling anybody. But this is the last time in the Gospels he ever says this. Jesus said, you don't need to keep silent forever. Because there's going to be a resurrection. There's something great coming down the road. He said, yeah, it's true. I'm going to face adversity. Sure, uh, it's true. I, I need to go to Jerusalem and be killed. And yes, it's true. But that's not the end of the story. There will be a resurrection. We will be, you will, I will be raised from the dead. Wait until then. And then what? Then tell everybody about your Jesus. And friends, the same is true for you. The story never ends with a storm. never does. The story doesn't end with defeat. In preparing for adversity, we just need to ready ourselves to wait it out until victory comes. Wait on God. Wait on the resurrection. See, get along with God until you get a glimpse of his glory. Experience his presence and his power. And his purpose. Get alone with God and actually listen to him until you get his perspective on what is going, is happening to you until you hear those encouraging words. Get up, don't be afraid. Get alone with God and then wait. Wait until the storm has passed because there will be a new day. There will be a resurrection. In today's story from Matthew, in this transfiguration of Jesus, We get a glimpse of his power and his glory. The same power, friends, is available to you, no matter what you will ever face. Get alone, get up, and don't be afraid. Amen. Let's stand and sing our operatory.